Thank you, Brother Jerry. Go ahead and get your Bible to Job chapter 2. Job chapter 2. We've been uh, going through Job now for a few weeks on Wednesdays when I'm speaking on Wednesdays. We do have a brief business meeting tonight. Uh, really the only business is the uh, financial report, so it will truly be brief. And we certainly don't know uh, when Job lived for sure. We don't know where the land of Uz was, where Job lived for sure. Uh, we don't know who the human author of the book of Job is. But we do know that God inspired this book and he preserved it for us because he has something for us today uh, in this book. Uh, two weeks ago when I spoke last on a Wednesday, we talked about in all this, Job sinned not. And we went into some detail about what happened to Job and how he responded to what happened to him. Remember, you and I can't control what happens in our life many times. Uh, but we can control how we were three friends, heard of all this evil that was come upon him. They came everyone from his own place. Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, Zophar the Namathite. For they had made an appointment together to come to mourn with him and to comfort him. When they lifted up their eyes afar off and knew him, they, yeah, they knew him not. I lost my line. They knew him not. They lifted up their voice and wept, and they rent everyone his mantle and sprinkled dust upon their heads towards heaven. So they sat down with him upon the ground seven days and seven nights, and none spake a word unto him. For they saw that his grief was very great. Thank you, might be seated. Before we can begin talking about the first thing Job says or the first thing any of his three friends who showed up to comfort him say, um, by the way, they showed up to comfort him, but I'm not implying they comforted him. I am saying that was their motive when they showed up at the end of verse 11, said they made an appointment together to come to mourn with him and to comfort him. That was their intention. Uh, remember, Job, in a couple of moments, learned all his wealth was gone, hundreds of his employees were dead, all 10 of his children were killed by a great wind when the house collapsed around them when they assembled for one of their birthday parties and what anyone would have considered to be an act of God. Remember, Job shaved his head, he rent his mantle, and he uh, worshiped God, and then Satan afflicted him physically, and he was covered with oozing boils from head to foot, and he sat there in the ash heap, either outside of his house or in the city dump, just basically, as gross as it is, just scraping the filthy contents of these oozing boils with a pottery shirt. Remember, it was in this situation when Job's wife, who had endured all this with Job, she tells him to curse God. I mean, think about it. With everything that happened, Job, now he loses the loving sympathy of the wife he loved. To give context to the conversation that occupies the book of Job from chapters 3 through 37, we need to understand a little better what's going on. I mean, understand that this torment went on for months. 
Not days, not hours, not weeks. Turn up to chapter 7 in verse 1. Job is speaking here and he says, Is there not an appointed time to man upon earth? Are not his days also like the days of an hireling? As a servant earnestly desiring the shadow and as a hiring looking for the reward of his work, so am I made to possess months of vanity and wearisome nights are appointed to me. When I lie down, I say, when shall I arise and the night be gone? I'm full of tossing to and fro until the dawning of the day. My flesh is clothed with worms and clods of dust. My skin is broken and become loathsome. And here now we get further insight into not just what happened to Job, but how long it went on. Months. And it's so bad that he couldn't even keep the fly babies, worms, maggots, off of every part of his body. Months. What a sight. And it wasn't just the physical torment that went on for months. He not only lost his social status, remember we talked about how he sat in the gate and how princes and everyone would listen to everything he had to say. But understand that this uh, socially had deteriorated for Job to such a degree that the lowest of the low in society, they just came by and spit on him. Go to chapter 30, verse 1. See, again, I, I, I grow weary sometimes of people beating up on these Bible characters' flaws when, when we don't understand the scope of what they went through compared to what makes us whine. You know, man, I, I could write a book on 500 lousy reasons to quit church. 500 lousy reasons to never serve Jesus anymore. And I want us to understand with this good man, the godliest, most faithful, highest character man on the planet was going through. This is a little long, but let's read the first 10 verses of chapter 30. He says, but now they that are younger than I have me in derision, whose fathers I would have disdained to set with the dogs of my flock. So the kids of the people, he would not have watched his dogs, were making fun of him. He says, yea, whereunto might the strength of their hands profit me in whom old age was perished for want and famine. They were solitary, fleeing into the wilderness in former time desolate and waste, who cut up mallows by the bushes and juniper roots for their meat. They were driven forth from among men. They cried after them as after a thief to dwell in the cliffs of the valleys and the caves of the earth and, and in the rocks. Before we go on, do you, do you see who these people are? They are the children of the lowest people that Job would never hire. They'd been kicked out of society. They basically have no nourishment other than to eat roots and plants and live in caves. You say, are cavemen real? Yeah, here's some right here. I mean, a bunch of people who could not function in society, their character and everything was so bad, and they're teasing Job. Verse 7 says, Among the bushes they braid, under the nettles they were gathered together. They were children of fools, yea, children of base men. They were viler than the earth, and now I am their song. Yea, I'm their byword. They abhor me. They flee far from me. They spare not to spit in my face. I mean, 
again, Satan did everything God did not prohibit. Everything. And people play with them. They, they underestimate the desire of the adversary of our soul, the adversary of our marriage, the adversary of our children and their future, the adversary of the Lord's churches and the work of God. They, under, they underestimate his desire to devour anything and anyone he can. And you go back to chapter 2, but can you not picture Job at this point? Months in this condition. By now, his beard that he couldn't shave or trim because of boils on his face is scraggly. By now, the boils on his oozing boils on his head, his hair now had, remember, he shaved it when he first mourned. His hair had just grown out, and he's just scraggled there. And he's just sitting covered in ashes. Maggots in places his body where he couldn't scrape. The lowest of the low people in society just coming down from caves to mock him and spit in his face. This is the most righteous man on the earth. What Job faced after the total loss of his family, wealth, social status, and health, that's the context into which these three friends enter. Notice first tonight that Job's friends came from a long way with good intentions. Verse 11 of chapter 2, now Job's three friends heard of all this evil that was come upon him, and they came every one from his own place, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, Zophar the Namathite, for they had made an appointment for to, to, together to come to mourn with him and to comfort him. Now remember, Job was very rich. He was the richest man in the land of the east, and everybody with money has people who will befriend him. I mean, Job had a lot of money. Proverbs 14.20 says, A rich hath many friends. Proverbs 19.4 says, Wealth maketh many friends, but the poor is separated from his neighbor. Proverbs 19.7 says, All the brethren of the poor do hate him. How much more do his friends go far from him? Now, this doesn't mean that those who are attracted to those with wealth and fame are true friends or that they actually care, but they call themselves that. I mean, have you ever noticed there's always some kind of an entourage around a professional athlete, a famous movie star, some rich person? There's always someone there uh, hanging on their coattails, so to speak. But these men, they were true friends. And instead, they made an appointment to mourn and comfort Job. See, the wise men said, a friend loveth at all times. The wise man said, faithful are the wounds of a friend. And again, these were real friends. These were not just people who had attached themselves to Job because of his wealth and fame. They were real friends who came to mourn and comfort him. I mean, think about how difficult it is in that day and age to come from three distant areas to meet up at the same time. I mean, they didn't have cell phones. Nobody had Google Calendar that was linked together. I mean, it would have likely taken weeks for all of them to even hear what happened to Job. 
And then you get news that this has happened in Job, and these guys begin to write each other letters because that's what you did. You, had a, you wrote a letter, a courier would take it, and you can imagine them going back and forth about when they would meet and where they would meet, and who knows how long it took not just to organize getting together, but to travel there to be there. Uh, Eliphaz is called a Temanite, and Teman was a grandson of Esau. According to Genesis 36, Bildad is called a Shuhite, and Shua was a son of Abraham and Keturah, according to Genesis 25, and Zophar is called a Naamathite, and Naamah was a place in northern Arabia. And so, even though we do, don't really know where exactly the land of Uz was, we kind of have an idea over there in the Middle East where it was. And even though we don't really know exactly when Job lived, these men and their genealogy places uh, this story in the time of the patriarchs and, like we said earlier, most likely in the days uh, of Jacob. So when these friends, they finally reach Job, and remember, there's no cell phone pictures. All they'd heard was what they heard. And, and by the way, in these circumstances, I mean, what you heard, probably weeks old. And so in verse 12, when they actually see him, things are even worse than they had heard. In verse 12, when they lifted up their eyes afar off and knew him not, they lifted up their voice and they wept. And they rent everyone his mantle, sprinkled dust upon their heads toward heaven. Remember, your mantle, that's a piece of cloth people had over their shoulders, and it was a sign of mourning to uh, tear that. Remember, that's what Job did when he first learned of everything that had happened to him. And again, another cultural custom, they would grab dust from the ground, they would throw it up in the air, and it would just sprinkle down upon their head and their body. And again, it was a sign of mourning in that culture. It would have taken true friends to sit with Job in the ashes seven days and seven nights without speaking in verse 13. So they sat down with him upon the ground seven days. Not a hotel. They sat with him on the ground seven days and seven nights. And none spake a word unto him, for they saw that his grief was very great. Now most of the time when someone is mourning, just the presence of a friend or a loved one makes a difference. And I would imagine these three friends showing up at a time like this and sitting there with him, I would imagine to whatever degree it was possible at the time, they helped you. By the way, there are a lot of people that help until they open their mouth. But I'm getting ahead of myself. I wonder if they'll be able to help Job. I wonder if they will speak first. I mean, after all, what can you say to a man in Job's situation? I mean, certainly these friends must be sent by God to bring Job some relief in this incredibly dark and difficult situation. Right? Well, after seven days and seven nights, Job speaks first, and secondly, we see that he is completely discouraged and has lost sight of the value of his life. Notice first, Job wishes he had not been born. 
verses 1 through 10 of chapter 3. After this, Job opened his mouth and cursed his day. Job spake, and he said, Let the day perish wherein I was born, and the night in which it was said, There's a man-child conceived. Let that day be darkness. Let not God regard it from above, neither let the light shine upon it. Let darkness and the shadow of death stain it. Let a cloud dwell upon it. Let the blackness of the day terrify it. As for that day, let darkness seize upon it. Let it not be joined into the days of the year. Let it not come into the number of the months. Lo, let that night be solitary. Let no joyful noise come therein. Let them curse it that curse the day who are ready to raise up their morning. Let the stars of the twilight thereof be dark. Let it look for light but have none neither let it see the dawning of the day because it shut not up the doors of my mother's womb nor hid sorrow from mine eyes job wishes he had not been born listen god is the giver of life and that includes lives that god gives who are born under circumstances we don't understand listen everyone who is born has been given life by God. By the way, I'm sure Job's parents were glad he was born. I'm sure for many, many years, his wife and children were glad that Job was born. I'm sure for many, many years, there were people of all sorts in that city and in that entire region who were glad Job was born, but this whole series of events. Remember, this is not the event of a few hours. This is not an event of a few days. This is something that went on for months, and Job has now gotten to the place where he wishes he had not been born. And that isn't all. He also doesn't understand why he was allowed to live and felt like death would be better than life. Verses 11 through 19, why died I not from the womb? Why did I not give up the ghost when I came out of the belly? Why did the knees prevent me? Why did the breast that I should suck? For now should I have lain still and been quiet. I should have slept and then I had been at rest with kings and counselors of the earth which built desolate places for themselves with princes that had gold or filled their houses with silver or as hidden untimely birth I had not been as infants which never saw light. There the wicked cease from troubling and there the weary be at rest. There the prisoners rest together. They hear not the voice of the oppressor. The small and great are there. The servant is free from his master. He doesn't understand why he was allowed to live and to him... Death was better than life. I mean, understand tonight, God is not only the giver of life, God is also the giver of purpose. And everyone who is alive has a purpose for their life from God. Though God's plan is not always a long life, there is a reason and purpose behind everyone who is alive. I read somewhere a long time ago these words, even the shortest life, leaves footprints somewhere. Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1 that God had saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our own works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Every human being, there is a designed purpose for their life, and it begins in Christ. So you're not in Christ tonight. You haven't truly begun the purpose for which you have been given life. 
Not only did Job wish he hadn't been born, not only did he not understand why he was allowed to live and thought that death was better than life, Job wanted to die. But he knew better than to take his own life. Verse 20, Wherefore is light given to him that is in misery and life under the bitter in soul, which long for death, but it cometh not, and dig for it more than hid treasure, which rejoice exceedingly are glad when they can find the grave. Why is light given to a man whose way is hid and whom God hath hedged in? For my sighing cometh before I eat and my roarings are poured out like the waters. See, Job wanted to die, but he knew better than to take his own life. See, Job knew God as well as anyone knew God at the time. I mean, he was the best man of faith and character on the planet. But the best from among men is still a man at best. And the depth and length of this trial had taken a toll on Job. Though it is not emotionally healthy to wish you hadn't been born, to not understand why you've been allowed to live, and to wish you were dead, that's where this trial got Job after months had taken its toll. He was in a bad place. You see, Job understood and he believed that God had a better life than this one in store. But Job had lost sight of the value of his birth, the value of his life, and the fact that God had a purpose for him because he was still alive. I mean, understand that before all this, Job was not living this carefree life of a billionaire, though in today's terms, he would have been a multi-billionaire. He all along, the whole time he was so successful, was very mindful of this potentially happening. That's what he says in verse 25 and 6. He says, for the thing which I greatly feared has come upon me, and that which I was afraid of has come unto me. I was not in safety, neither had I rest, neither was I quiet, yet trouble came. Job says, this was the thing I feared all my life. Though I was being so successful, I feared it would all be taken away. I was thoughtful. I stayed close to God. I offered sacrifices to my children. This was my fear all along, and I guarded against it, and it still came to me. It would be easy to criticize Job's attitude at this point as a person with true faith in God. But that's where Job was at that moment. You could describe him as being depressed. You certainly could describe him as being discouraged. And I just remind everybody, God does not paint pictures of great men and women of faith in the Bible as being flawless. God paints pictures to us that are accurate and helps us understand that these were great men and women of faith who faced real trials, who went through the same exact valleys that you and I go through, yet kept their faith intact. Some people here have heard of the Chinese water torture or a dripping machine. It is a mentally painful process in which cold water is slowly dripped on the scalp or forehead or face for a prolonged period of time. And you hear about that and you think to yourself, well, that wouldn't be anything at all. But from what I understand, that just the irregular drip of cold water on your head 
even though each individual drip is no big deal over time, it really breaks people down. It causes fear, mental deterioration, and I've heard even some people have gone insane because of it, and that's why it's called torture. I mean, understand that Job survived the sledgehammer blows of wealth and family and health, but the slow drip of day after day of memories and painful boils, his pitiful condition, the mockery and spittle from the dregs of his society, it had gotten to him mentally. He hadn't lost his faith. We'll see that in the coming chapters. But he had lost sight of a couple things that would have helped him in this deep valley. And I want to spend just about five minutes talking about these two things that if Job could have find, if he could have done these things, if he would have been able to find uh, himself to do it, and again, I'm not being critical of him, none of us could have taken this. But if you and I, listen, the grind of life and the inevitable valleys that we will all face will put us in our version of this. And these two things will help us when we're there. Keep your hand there, but go up in your Bible to Psalm 77. Here's the first thing. Job lost sight of the years he had at the Lord's right hand in the months of this trial. Job lost sight of the years he had at the Lord's right hand in the months of this trial. Now, Psalm 77 is the record of a man with faith who was struggling. And it's going to document what was going through his mind and his struggles. And it's going to tell us how he got out of it. He says, I cried unto the Lord with my voice, even to God with my voice, and he gave ear unto me. The day of my trouble I sought the Lord. My sore ran in the night and ceased not. My soul refused to be comforted. I remember God was troubled. I complained and my spirit was overwhelmed. Selah. Thou holdest mine eyes waking. I'm so troubled I cannot speak. I've considered the days of old, the years of ancient times. I call to remembrance my song in the night. Uh, remember that in one of our hymns? that giveth a song in the night. That's from this psalm. He says, I call to remembrance my song in the night. I commune with mine own heart. My spirit made diligent search. And here's the thoughts of the discouraged and depressed. Will the Lord cast off forever? Will he be favorable no more? Is his mercy clean gone forever? Does his promise fail forevermore? Hath God forgotten to be gracious? Hath he in anger shut up his tender mercies? Selah? Do, do you hear the discouraged and depressed thought of, of this good man in his trial? Verse 10, and I said, this is my infirmity, but I will remember the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the works of the Lord. Truly I remember thy wonders of old. I will meditate also of all thy work and talk of thy doings. Thy way, O God, is in the sanctuary. Who's so great a God as our God? How did he get out? He remembered the years at the right hand of the Lord. It's an interesting contrast in verse 2, in the day 
of my trouble, I sought the Lord. My soul ran in the night. Verse 10, I said, this is my infirmity, but I will remember the years of the right hand of the Most High. Again, I'm not criticizing Job. I'm just making an observation about a great man whose faith were under incredible duress. Remembering the times that were good and better than what you're facing now is a key to our mental health. We all struggle at times, not just with our attitudes. We struggle with discouragement. Some people struggle a lot with depression and anxiety. The first answer to this battle is not meds, but perspective. I'm not implying meds are never the answer, but I am clearly saying they're never the first answer. Listen, let's just be honest. It's way easier to focus on the days of our current trial than to remember the years at the right hand of God. We do it naturally. And if Job can lose perspective in the months of his deep trial, you and I can lose perspective in ours. I just say, by the grace of God, there are always ways to keep from dwelling in the place where we wish we had not been born, when we wish we never would have lived, and when we wish we were dead instead of alive. Listen, if Job can get there, any of us can get there. Where's your focus tonight? In the days of a very real trial or months or the years when things were better. But it isn't just that Job had lost sight of the years at the Lord's right hand in his months of deep trials. Secondly, Job lost sight of all the good influence he had on people before the trial. And by the way, those people on whom he had good influence, they were going to outlive him. So what do you mean his good influence? Uh, go to chapter 29 of Job. In chapter 29 of Job, notice he's going to say, talking about what had happened before in verse 11, when the ear heard me, then it blessed me. When the eye saw me, it gave witness to me because I delivered the poor that cried and the fatherless and him that had none to help him. The blessing of him that was ready to perish came upon me and I caused the widow's heart to sing for joy. I put on righteousness and it clothed me. My judgment was as a robe and a diadem. I was eyes to the blind. I was feet to the lame. I was a father to the poor and the cause which I knew not I searched out. I break the jaws of the wicked and pluck the spoil out of his teeth. Do you realize that Job had lost sight of the value of his life and all around him were people who had been impacted by his life? They were poor. There were people who needed justice. There were widows. There were all kinds of people who came to the gate for judgment. And every one of these people, even though Job could no longer help any of them, what he did that was good for them was going to outlive him. He lost sight of that. You see, remembering those he helped when he was able to help, even though he could no longer do so, it would have helped lift him out of his depression and discouragement. 
And let me ask you tonight, where's your focus? On the good you've done that will outlive you? Or on what you're no longer able to do? See the slow drip of Job's ongoing trial after the sledgehammer of his initial trials had taken a toll on this great man of faith. His mind was now filled with thoughts that were a waste of mental energy. Thoughts that would never help him in his trial or help him find God's purpose for allowing this trial. Thoughts that were pure pessimism, no hope. When we read chapter 3, what Job said, it was nothing but pure darkness. Certainly at a time like this, these three good friends would speak encouraging and helpful words to him, right? I mean, after all, that's why they came. Real friends. Traveled far. Sat with him seven days. Certainly, they'll encourage him in his darkness, right? That is a message for another time. You bow your heads and close your eyes. You don't need to come up tonight, Melinda. It's all right. Just where you are, right in your seats there. Why don't you just talk to the Lord? I don't know where this message finds you. It may find you, and if you're being honest, you'd say, Brother Wally, I don't even know if Jesus is in my life. You know, tonight, if you'd lift your hand, say, Brother Wally, that's me. I'd like to talk to somebody about being saved, about having Christ in your life, about beginning God's purpose for your life. If that's you and you'd like someone to find you after the service, if you'd lift your hand where I can see it, someone would find you. Brother Wally, that's me. Maybe you're here and God's in your life. And you didn't mean for it to happen. But the slow drip of life's trials, ministry's trials, health's trials has just gotten you to a place where your thinking isn't good. I'm not being critical of you for getting there. Listen, Job got there. Would you tonight change your focus? Would you pray, dear Lord, please help me to get my eyes off today and look back to the years at your right hand, all the good you've done in my life. Would you tonight ask God, just pray, God, help me to remember and see the people that I've impacted for good, for Christ, for things that will go on after I'm gone? Would you let yourself feel and see the value that you have as a human being? That your life matters. That God has a purpose and plan. And that Satan always tries to get us into this valley where we can't see it anymore. Father, thank you for never...